And uh, so uh, they just put a little trio together last night for fun. And so listen to this and let it just prepare your heart and rejoice in the goodness of the Lord. Amen. All right, children, you may be dismissed to Tyler's Church and Children's Church. Do not trample one another on the way out. No, we don't have that problem. Amen. And I'd like the rest of us to take our Bibles, and we're going to primarily look at uh, two verses today uh, in the Bible. Matthew chapter 23, if you would. Matthew chapter 23. And verse 23, this, of course, Matthew 23, was the last week uh, before Jesus was uh, crucified to pay the price for our sins. And 
And that week was marked by incredible uh, uh, strife and, uh, and angst between Jesus and the Pharisees. And here we have him pronouncing woe upon the Pharisees. Now, anytime you see that word woe in the Bible, that's W-O-E, not W-O-A-H. W-O-A-H means slow down, woe horse. But uh, the woe means great judgment, sorrow, condemnation, and destruction. Anytime you see that word woe, you, you need to stop and pay attention. And, and Jesus is pronouncing them woe unto the Pharisees. And, and let's look at the reasons. The verse here, verse 23. And by the way, this is only one of many in this chapter. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Excuse me, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Now, I've heard many sermons on this passage, and they don't get that last phrase in there. Jesus was not condemning the tithing of the mint, the anise, and the cumin. Uh, he said that's something that ought to be done. He said, but in your doing of these lesser matters, you have skipped over the weightier matters. And... Uh, what I would like to preach about on is the weightier matters today. There's three of them here. Judgment, mercy, and faith. And of course, our theme this year is the just shall live by... There we go. His faith. And faith cometh by... And hearing by the Word of God. And, and so, we, we want to see... The application here and these things, but before we get into this completely, I want you to turn, keep your finger in Matthew 23. We're going to spend most of the morning there, but uh, if you would uh, just turn over with me to Luke chapter 11. This is what we call a parallel passage here. Jesus is using almost the same words in condemnation of the very same people. Luke chapter 11. And verse 42, he says, But woe unto you Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and Passover judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Again, it's very, very similar, only instead of judgment, mercy... And faith, he says, you've passed over judgment and the love of God. And, and I want you to think about that because there, there's a connection here. And, and we, we understand 
How, how many times have we poked fun at the Pharisees and, and their self-righteousness and, and exposed the, the emptiness and the vainness of their religion? And, and uh, I, I like to call it checklist Christianity. That's where you get a little list of things that you do and another little list of things that you don't do. And you think as long as you stay on your list that you're righteous. How many of you have known someone, including yourself, that's done the right things for the wrong reasons? Every one of us. You see, the reason God is more interested in the heart than He is in the body is because if He has your heart, even when we fail... He still has you. Amen? When we bought this building uh, in 1997, we actually signed the papers and, and uh, we began cleaning out uh, some of the offices and they'd left lots of records in there. And one of the things that uh, I remember finding was the pew rental record. Uh, if you were Jewish and you wanted to be here on Passover, you'll notice that many of the little numbered tags in the pew in front of you are still there. And uh, there are letters on the end of each pew. And you say, why are the letters out of order? Some of you will go looking for that after the service. And that's because we've moved the pews around uh, since we've been in the building. But uh, you actually bought a seat. Now, ladies... You couldn't sit in the center section where you're sitting today. They made the ladies sit on the sides. And there was a wall there that came down. Some of you remember the old wall that came down the side. And, and uh, praise God, we got rid of all those things. And uh, it's just much more open and pleasant auditorium than it used to be. But if you wanted to sit down here in front where Brother John is sitting, where, where most of my family's there in that pew... By the way, let me see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Well, we managed to stick one more in than they actually... They sold nine seats for each pew. And uh, if I were in this row right here on Passover with ten people, I'd be out $20,000 for one service. $2,000 per seat down front. And if you couldn't afford those rates, they had a um, singer who was part of the leading of the services. There were no instruments. And uh, he would go downstairs and address the people who weren't rich enough to be upstairs on Passover. And you had to pay for every seat. And I'm sitting there going, wow, that is so nuts. But it was all part of the process that was handed down from the Pharisees of showing who you are and how wealthy you are and how good you are and how righteous you are and how much God has blessed you and all of these things by being able to sit down front with your family on Passover. By the way, that only happened once a year. We 
want your tithe every Sunday. <clears throat> Excuse me, another sermon. Uh, but Jesus was addressing this self-righteousness. And the point of the story there was just to illustrate that it hasn't gone away. It's still there. It's still in every place where people meet and pretend to worship God. And Jesus was trying to show that their hypocrisy was not only doing harm to the reputation of God, causing people who did not have the same means and the same abilities that they did. He was trying to show them that their faith that they claimed to have in God was absolutely worthless when it comes to the entrance of eternity. That no matter how much they showed in all of these works and things, they weren't making it to heaven. Now, the Pharisees had a lot to be proud of. In order to be a Pharisee, test number one on the entrance exam was being able to quote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I dare say we wouldn't have a Pharisee in the bunch. But they were when you compare them to the priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees were a righteous lot. The Sadducees didn't believe in anything they couldn't see. Of course, what's the number one thing people like to see? Coin, money. And that's what the Sadducees were all about. The chief priest lived in a palace that was connected to the temple compound. And all of these things were going on. And Jesus was pronouncing woe unto them. And he, and back in Matthew chapter 23, he had just finished a, a complete expose on the foolishness and the arrogance of, uh, of their rules and their regulations. And, and we can look at just a few of them this morning. It says, verse 16, Woe unto you, blind guides, which say, Whoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of, te- of the temple, he is debtor. Now, do you get what's being said there? It says, you go to the used, car, used camel lot, whatever, and, and you're going to buy something, and, and it's a Pharisee. And he says, I swear to you by the temple in Jerusalem, this is only a lightly used model. It is in perfect working order and everything is good. Liar, 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 liar. He doesn't have to tell you the truth when he swears by the temple. But if he swears by the gold in the temple, well then, he's got to tell you the truth. How many of you have ever been lied to and cheated? I mean, I've, I've said this before in somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I, I, I really mean it. I've, I've met some people over the year. Uh, they'll call up and they'll be wanting to sell us or do us something, and they'll say, Oh, yeah, I'm a preacher too. Oh, really? What kind of church you pastor? And they'll tell me a kind of church, and I'll say, Okay. And, and I'll be friendly to them on the phone and hang up and never, ever call them back, because I know that kind of church, they're going to cheat me out of everything they can do. 
Because if you'll use the name of God to sell your product, what won't you do? And that's what these Pharisees were doing. And Jesus was condemning them and trying to wake them up and help them understand. He said, but you've passed over the weightier matters. You see, it was easy to tithe the mint, the anise, and the cumin. As he said in the book of Luke, all manner of herbs. You know what they were talking about? They were talking about a little window box, we might say, or a little garden of herbs out in front. You, did, you couldn't just go down to the supermarket like we do and buy a bottle of this or a box of that or uh, all of this. And, and uh, you didn't have all the deodorizers and Febreze and all of these things that we do today. So what did you use? You used herbs. They would say, they, uh, one commentary I read said that they would take mint and sprinkle it on the floor in the synagogue. And when you came in, you would step on the mint leaves and break it open and, and the synagogue would smell like mint instead of like people who only took a bath on special holidays, which was the average cleanliness that the Bible talked about and the Jewish people kept. Uh, how many of you have ever been too close to somebody who lives that way still on a subway train? Oh, man. If somebody could invent some type of little mask that would uh, get rid of all those smells, uh, you'd be a millionaire overnight. Everybody in New York City would be buying them. One I'd be first guy in line. Uh, but that's what they were used for. Now, where did they get all this mint? Well, when you would go out to, to pick the leaves, you would pick 11 of them. Or actually, you'd pick 10 of them. Nine would be for you, and one would go to the synagogue. How much did that cost you? When you gathered your spices for cooking, you picked them in lots of 10 and let one bunch for the temple. That was easy to do. And you know what? A lot of people were careless with those things and didn't care, but these guys did. And that made them righteous, didn't it? No. It made them feel good about their standard of righteousness. And you know, we have a whole realm of religion today that has taken this to such an extreme. I, we had someone visit the church and they said, well, yeah, I said to, he said, the church I'm going to is about 80% self-help and self-enlightenment and 20% Bible. He said, I just couldn't stand it. He said, I had to come over here for at least one service so I could get some Bible. And I said, well, come back. I said, that's what we're about here. But this self-help, this self-enlightenment movement of our day, uh, probably the foremost leader of it is Joel Osteen. used to be a guy named uh, uh, Peel uh, that pastored here in, in New York City, the positive thinking movement and, and all of these things. Um, 
It's easy to get a little list of things that make you feel better about your personal holiness. But what was the first thing that Jesus said was a weightier matter of the law? Let's, let's look in our Bible here and let's just read it. Read it with me out loud. And, and uh, we're Matthew chapter 23. He says, And have omitted the weightier matters of the law. What's the first thing right there? Nice and loud. That wasn't nice and loud. Let's try it again. And have omitted the weightier matters of the law. What was it? Judgment. Judgment. Now, when you see those flashing blue lights in your rearview mirror, and you realize it's not the guy in front of you that he wants, it's you. How many of you want judgment at that point? Or how many of you are thinking of some excuse? Officer, I I didn't realize I was going that fast. Oh, so you knew you were speeding, huh? I mean, you can't get out of it. You try. None of us want judgment. But that's what the law is all about. The law of God is about judgment. Now, I want to read you the definition of the word judgment. The action of trying a cause in a court of justice. Trial. Definition number two. The trial of moral beings by God or Christ as judge, capital J, specifically in full, the last judgment, the final trial of subjects of God's moral government at the end of the world equals doom. Often in day of judgment, equaling doomsday. Do you know where I got those definitions? Out of the Oxford English Dictionary. That's not a theological dictionary. It's not a Bible dictionary. That's out of the OED. You know what? If you speak the English language, this word judgment means something. It, it means a trial. It means condemnation. It equals doom and doomsday. How many of us want our just desserts? Tell you what, not if you're honest at all. But how many times do you hear someone... I want my rights. I don't want my rights. You know what my right is? My right is an eternity in hell separated from God forever. That's what my right is. And you know what we need to say to that? Let's hear it. Amen. Uh Uh-uh. Let's hear it. You need to understand that. You see, our politicians in our day and our time, we believe that if we'll pass... We don't, they do. They believe that if they'll pass a law, they'll stop wrong behavior. 
Could I challenge you that never has there ever been a law passed by mankind that has stopped one wrong behavior? That is not what the law is about. The law is about judgment. It's about telling you there is condemnation There is punishment. There is destruction coming for breaking that law. Those that hate capital punishment, and we dealt with that a little bit in Sunday school today, they say capital punishment is not a deterrent to crime. Okay? How many people that are have been exercised capital punishment, uh, they are executed for the crimes that they have done, how many have recommitted crimes after their execution? So I would tell you that argument is rather flimsy, wouldn't you? And people say, well, but but you don't understand. Sometimes people make mistakes. Okay, yes, people do make mistakes. We understand that. But how many mistakes would there be made if we had honest lawyers instead of liars for hire and honest people sitting on the jury and honest judges sitting in judgment? How many mistakes would we have then? It's a miracle that we have as few mistakes as we really do. But if we had those three things, how many mistakes would we have? It would be well nigh impossible. Let me ask you another question. Does God make mistakes with his law? Uh, No, not a one. You see, the law is for judgment. This is a weightier matter. Should you tithe of the mint, the anise, and the cumin? Absolutely. But if we'll go on here, we'll, we'll find out that even in their tithing, these guys were corrupt. They would say, well, I've dedicated my home and my lands to the temple, Corbin. It's a gift to God. And so that means that the only thing I can take out is a, is a stipend to live on and nothing else is mine. It all goes to the temple. How many of you have gotten a call uh, during dinner or some other obtuse time. Hello, we're from the Benevolent Association and we would like to solicit and all of our donations go to help the poor and the needy. Talking about the administration and staff of the charity. We have charities in this state that call you up on a regular basis that less than 10% of the monies they take in, some have even been found out with 2 and 3%, Because uh, it just costs a lot to operate. 
Well, that's what these scribes and these Pharisees did. And when the tax guy came around, oh, I don't have any income at all except the little stipend on which I live. And you know what that unsaved, heathen tax collector was looking at? Saying, you live better than I do and I steal for a living. That's why people hated the Pharisees. Because they made good and righteousness look evil. You know what judgment is? Judgment is trial according to a standard. Judgment is condemnation passed for crimes committed. How many of you are willing to let the judgment of God stand on your life? Say it with me if you know it. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 5 Death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. You know one thing you'll never hear Joel Osteen talk about? Sin. Judgment. Can I challenge you? You cannot be saved until you accept God's judgment about your sin. There is no salvation. Until you understand that God's law has condemned you to a devil's hell forever. And the reason we say amen to that is not because we're happy about it. But because God is holy. And we are not. Can we say amen? That's one of the biblical uses of amen. It is to condemn the guilty. And who is guilty? Every one of us is guilty. If you want to hear about how good you are, get a lot of money and hire a psychiatrist and he'll lie to you for three or four hundred dollars an hour. You know what? I wouldn't lie to you if you gave me a thousand dollars an hour, but I'll tell you the truth for free because it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. The first issue that we must all come to grips with is judgment. Without judgment, there's nothing else. That's why the great white throne judgment is reserved to the last and final thing before we enter eternity future. Because God is going to settle the records once and for all. And every person is going to stand before that throne that has not already been judged by God. You see, the righteous are going to be judged. And they'll receive those rewards that we read about in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 as they cast their crowns 
at his feet. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he said, Your works are going to be tried by fire, and whatever survives, you're going to receive a reward. Read the book of Jude, and it says there are going to be some that are going to be pulled out of the fire, having even their garments spotted, touched, the smell of smoke. You see, you can't get to the second weightier matter of the law until you deal with the first. I've heard people say, well, if I believed that about myself, I couldn't live. Wait a minute. You've got to understand something. That God is not interested in your life, in your abilities, in, in your feelings, in what you care about. Because God is much more intimately interested in what He knows to be true. And if you'll just accept what God has, you will be the beneficiary, not God. You see, that's why we get to the second one, which is... Let's go back to the uh, verse 23 there. Please, with, please help me this morning as, as we read through that. He says, And have omitted the weightier matters of the law. First is judgment. Second is mercy. Mercy. Let me read you the textbook definition. Again, out of the Oxford English Dictionary, that is the lexicon of the English language, and forbearance and compassion shown by one person to another who is in his power and has no claim to receive kindness. Kind and compassionate treatment in a case where severity is merited or expected. I'd say our... Unsaved editors of the Oxford English Dictionary get it right much more than many of our Bible quote-unquote scholars get it. I like to put it this way. Mercy is received of the vanquished by the hand of the victor. You cannot obtain mercy until you own God's judgment against your soul. Because only then will God save you. I'm so glad that God is not like the State Department of the United States. We extended mercy in the Vietnam War to an enemy that was not beaten. And it cost 25,000 American lives. And countless tens of thousands who were injured and maimed and still litter our streets as homeless and vagabonds because of what happened to them over there by an enemy that wasn't beaten and by an administration who showed mercy to people who were not deserving of it. If you want the political realm, I've used this many times, the greatest example of mercy in the political realm is Japan at the end of World War II. 
They were a defeated people. And they accepted the mercy of America and was rebuilt into the most powerful nation in all of Asia until recently as China has finally taken its authority. But China's not a free society. Japan is. You see, that's mercy. How many could say amen? I'm glad for God's mercy today. How many of you remember the day that you received God's mercy? When you went to God and admitted your sin, your failure, when you finally owned up to God's assessment of your life and said, God, I'm going to let your judgment stand. I know I deserve hell for all eternity. But I'm so glad those three words are in the Bible. That Jesus paid the price for my sins. And that He said, Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I I, I don't know how to say this any other way. I I wish we could get this. I I wish it would just sink in. Almost all religion sets the end goal of that religion as the right to enter heaven or to be with God. Or to become a God, if you want to stretch it out to the Eastern religions. That is the end goal. How many of you used to attend the Catholic Church? You participated in the sacraments. You did what the priest said. You put money in the offering plate. You... You, you, you tried to pay penance for your sins and you would say Hail Mary and you would pray to all the saints and you would do these different rituals so that one day, now this is their words, not mine, you'd have the right to enter purgatory and pay for the rest of your sins so that one day you could go to heaven. Isn't that what they said? Will you grab a hold of this? When you receive God's mercy, that's not the end point. That's the beginning. When you surrender to God's judgment and ask for His mercy, He saves you once and forever for all eternity. Your salvation is not dependent upon what you do. When we fail in our attempts to serve Christ, it does not take away one second of our time with Jesus in eternity. Do you get that? It's the starting point. Let's go back. Matthew chapter 11. It says, now read it out loud with me, and have admitted the weightier matters of the law. Number one, 
Judgment. Number two. Number three. Faith. Mercy is the starting point of faith. You see, faith is believing God's mercy and asking Him to save me. Amen? But God didn't design faith to get you into heaven by the skin of your teeth. Uh, I think I've used this example. I don't want a copy of this song. But it was, I just want a little cab, a little cottage in the corner of heaven. That's blasphemous. God never intended one soul to be saved with smoke on their garments. God never intended one soul to be saved and get into heaven just by the barest minimum. Read Second Peter. It says He wants to minister to us abundantly an entrance into His kingdom. You know what eternity is going to be about? Read Ephesians chapter 2. He's going to take your life and put it on the big screen, as we might say. And he's going to say, look at what I did in this life. I mean, we have people that are willing to die for 15 seconds of fame. And yet, as a Christian... Your life is going to be broadcast to every living soul in heaven to bring glory to God. How many of you, your motion pictures are going to be less than 15 seconds? Well, they're in heaven by the grace and glory of God. End of picture. End of story. Next. How many of you would like to have a little bit more than that in your repertoire? So that's what faith is about. That's what keeps you from giving up when you get frustrated with life. That's what makes you keep serving when things get difficult. Is because I have a hope that one day God will get some glory from this life. How do I know what to do? Well, there's this thing called the law. You see, that's not the end point. That was the Pharisees' problem. They thought if they just would keep the law that they were righteous before God. That, that's not the goal. Jesus explained that in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't He? He said it's not just not committing murder. It's not hating What kind of world would this be if we could remove hate from it? I'll tell you, it's going to be the world that's going to be during the millennial reign of Christ. Could we say amen to that? It's going to be what eternity future is all about. Could we say amen to that? I mean, they tell me of a day, an unclouded day. I'm looking forward to what that song's saying about. How about you? And I don't want to be one of those people just walking around my head hung low and going, well, I'm 
kind of wish I had to live more for God the way... Why do you think it says at the very end that God shall wipe away all tears? Because there's going to be a lot of regret in the lives of people who made it to the right side of eternity. But they passed over faith. And instead of victory, they lost time and effort that God wanted to use their life to bring glory to His name in eternity. You see, I don't have to lie to myself and feel good about things that aren't true. How much of our world is built on that? And I'm not picking on the ladies today. The men are just as bad. Plastic surgeons. Makeup. Special clothes. Why do you think they run all these articles? Do you want to see what these celebrities look like without their makeup? No! I don't. I get sick of looking at them with their makeup. Because I know what their lives are all about. I don't want to look at them when they're ugly. Wake up. There aren't going to be any prosthetics in heaven. No steroids to buff you all up. No gyms to work out at. If you want to look good in heaven, you better get some of that His faith that's talked about in the book of Habakkuk. And if you're going to get it, you're going to get it because you accepted God's judgment about who you are. And you went to God and asked for mercy. And He'll give you faith. And it doesn't only happen when you get saved. It happens each and every day as God is molding you and shaping you and making you to the person that He wants to use to bring glory to His name throughout eternity. Can we say amen to that? See, I want us to just spend a moment here back in Luke chapter 11. You don't have to turn there. Just listen very closely. Here's what Jesus said. He said, and pass over judgment and the love of God. See, Jesus was saying the same thing a very different way. You see, judgment is accepting God's word about who and what I am. But mercy and faith, that's God's love. Now turn with me to one more verse and we'll be done. 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. Verse 3. For this is 
the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Now, let's try that all together. Can we do that this morning? Here we go. Verse 3. Everybody, right from the beginning, every word, nice and loud, together. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you passed over the love of God. You see, it starts with judgment. Which brings us to mercy. As the defeated, we can receive mercy from the hands of the victor, Jesus. That mercy is the seed of faith. I'd hope and pray that the only reason you're in this service today is because of faith in God's Word. The Bible tells me I'm supposed to be here. But do you have enough faith to come back tonight? What about Thursday night? We're going to take an offering in a little bit. Do you have enough faith to obey God and put in what God's told you to put in? Say, you just want my money. No, if you think that, you don't know anything about our church. What I'm simply asking you to do is what God wants you to do. You see, we wouldn't be here if it weren't by faith. We wouldn't be fixing up Union Baptist Church if it weren't by faith. Someone said, we've been doing so much with so little for so long that it's only by miracles we survive. Hallelujah. I'm glad God's not a CPA. Amen? Listen, if I were to ask the question, how many of you would have for a life's goal to be great in faith in the eyes of God? I would think every saved person in here would raise their hand and say, yeah. Okay, well, you only get great faith after you've received great mercy. You only receive great mercy after you've accepted God's judgment. You know, there are things in our lives that God doesn't want there and we keep them there because we like them. There are things that we should be doing that we're not doing. Well, if we're going to accept God's judgment, we've got to start with, He's right, I'm wrong. Then we go to God and say, How do I make this wrong in my life right? Number one, by accepting Jesus' forgiveness on the cross. That removes guilt. That removes failure. And now I'm totally free to live by faith. Now what does God want me to do tomorrow? Maybe keep my temper instead of losing it all the time. That would require great faith, wouldn't it?
Maybe just putting away some selfishness. That's just pride by its working name. And I could go on and on and on and list all these things, but I would pray that the Holy Spirit would have some freedom in these next few moments to fill in those blanks and to flesh out this sermon with what God needs to do in your life so that you can walk by faith and not by sight. So that that day when we stand before God, it won't be. They made it to heaven. End of story. That in itself is a wonderful thing. But according to the Bible, that should be the beginning, not the end. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We ask you to work in our hearts and lives. Help us to grasp these incredible truths that these super-religious people could not even begin to understand. Lord, that we would grapple with the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith. Lord, would you work that we may bring glory to thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Sandra comes to lead us in the hymn of invitation. If you're here without salvation, would you just come and let us know that and we'll have someone take the Bible and show you how you could be saved. If there's a problem between you and God, that's what the altar is for. And let's spend some time there this morning as we sing.